Without much further ado, I want to invite up Pastor Charles. Let's welcome Charles as he comes. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the river. My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. It's good to see you here. I've been dealing with some inflammation in the knee. Have you guys ever had anything problem with that? So the knee inflammation has not been fun. So I may have to sit and stand and go back and forth a little bit. So I ask for your understanding in advance, okay? It's not a big deal. It'll get better. It's just a bit of a problem. All right, so we are starting a new sermon series today. Woohoo! It's called Flipped. Flipped. Um, it may sound a little bit flippant, but actually it comes from a book written by a uh, post evangelical writer called Doug Paget. Uh, Pastor Mike gave me a heads up on this book, and I, I appreciate books like this because. There's just a lot of misunderstanding about Christian faith today. Um, Jesus was actually a countercultural revolutionary. <laughs> he overturned so many assumptions about God in his day. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, I feel like many of the common understandings of Christianity today uh, resembles more of what Jesus overturned than what Jesus taught. And that's a tragedy. That will not lead to good things. And so with this series, we want to look at some of those misunderstandings and see how that has impacted us in faith, in everyday life, at the big cultural level stuff, and see if we can get to a better understanding so that we can experience the life and freedom that God promised. Sounds good? All right, so we start today with a very famous passage from the book of John when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. You've heard of this, right? Jesus washing the feet. We're going to take a deep look at that today. John 13. It was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus responded, unless I wash you, you have nothing to do with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Right? Peter is very alarmed. Can you see that? 
It's like, oh, then don't you know, just my whole body, just bring it on. <laughs> Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Probably not. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Now you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is a, a famous and somewhat puzzling passage. I think it puzzled the disciples greatly that Jesus would wash their feet. And there is great insight into this uh, passage. So let's dig in, okay? So the passage begins, it was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The setting for this passage is the Last Supper. This is the last night that Jesus has with his disciples. He will be betrayed this very night. This is it. You know? It's da Vinci's Last Supper, right? So you would expect Jesus to do and say what was the dearest in his heart, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's Kevin's iPad. That's good to know. But anyway, right? I mean, when you are, like, when you know this is your last hour, right, in your deathbed, people tend to try to say and do what's the most important that they want, you know, their loved ones to remember. You know, these are your last words, right? You want it to count. This is the most important stuff. Wouldn't you agree? And that is love. Jesus wants us to remember love. The passage says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. This is his last hour. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love is what he wanted to leave behind. And this word love used here is agape, unconditional love. If you listen to any of our past sermons, you know that agape is so central to this church because it was so central to Jesus and everything he taught. And here again, in the last hour of Jesus, we see this word again, agape. Let's read on to see how Jesus communicates his agape. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel 
that was wrapped around them. So it tells us Jesus was in full control of himself. In fact, the passage says that he had all things under his power as if he were the emperor of the universe. So what does he do with all that control and power? He chooses to kneel down and wash the feet of his disciples. Now, this was something that only the lowest of the servants did back then. Because, you know, back then, the streets were full of crap. Excuse my language, but it was literally full of crap. Because it was not like the streets of today, you know. There was no pavement. It's all dirt road. And there were no cars, right? So what was on the road? It was all these animals, right? Horses, dogs, sheep, goats. They're all over the place going back and forth, and they're doing their business all day long, right? And there were no signs with plastic bags <laughs> saying, pick up your dog's poop or else. Nothing like that, right? So imagine what the roads were like. Nobody's cleaning that up. Just full of crap. And people back then walked around with flimsy sandals. And many of them, not even that, just barefoot. But they're just walking on this all day long. So at the supper time, imagine the condition of their feet. There's no showers back then. People didn't do that. And so to wash the feet was only the lowest of servants were forced to do. It's just a grody thing to do. Not a pretty picture. And that's why Peter is so shocked when Jesus starts washing their feet. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize, you don't understand what I'm doing. Later, you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter is not happy with this situation. Do you get that? Do you get that sense? He refuses Jesus outright. In fact, he sounds kind of offended, right? I mean, he's overreacting. You, know, you should never wash my feet. What are you doing? What are you, you know, it sounds like this is outrageous, right? You get the picture. And this is because Jesus had been revealed to him as the God incarnate. That's happened to him. To him. Jesus is master and Lord, God of the universe. They are servants of God, Jesus. If anything, Peter and the disciples should be washing Jesus' feet, right? Servants, master. What's happening here? It's flipped. And this attitude of Peter, it's really deeply rooted and comes from his very deep Jewish faith. We have to always remember that Jesus and his disciples, they were all Jews at the time. They saw themselves as fulfilling and continuing the Jewish faith, 
right? So we need to respect and understand the Jewish faith. And in that mindset, to be servants of God was the highest honor that a human being could have as the purpose of their life. There is a great scholar of Jewish faith named James Kugel. He's an Orthodox Jew and a professor at Harvard, uh, now retired to live in Jerusalem. And he wrote a book called How to Read the Bible. And in it, he says that the unique and great contribution of Jewish faith was not necessarily monotheism. That's what we think. Well, you know, that was the great innovation, one God. No, he says there were other faiths that preached monotheism even back then. He says the unique thing that Jewish faith brought was this idea that you were standing in the court of God as a believer, as a Jew, at all times in your life. You could be a carpenter. You could be a shepherd. You could be watching your sheep in a hill somewhere, doing everyday menial stuff, but at every moment, in spiritual, true sense, you were standing in the court of God, the emperor of the universe. And so that was an honor. It, it, it gave great meaning and dignity to your life at all moments of your life. Nothing you did was meaningless. You were standing in the imperial court of the universe at all moments. What an honor, right? So if that was your belief, what do you do with your life? You study and follow the court protocols. There are rules to follow when you are a courtier standing in the court of your king. You understand that, right? There are all these rules, how to dress, how to eat, what to eat, how to appear. I dressed up a little bit today. Uh, you may have noticed, just to kind of like go with the spirit of this, you know, you, you you, the trust is important. You know, can you imagine if a courtier showed up at the court of the emperor wearing shabby clothes, hair not done right? That would be a grave offense, wouldn't you say? And that's why you see so many laws in the Old Testament Bible about how to dress, what kind of clothes you can wear and not wear, what to eat, what not to eat. These were all very important instructions, rules to follow as a courtier standing in the court of God. You see how important that could be, right? So that's why the Bible goes to great length and uses extreme language like abomination about what to eat, what not to eat, stuff like that. Well, it makes kind of sense now from that mindset. So imagine how Peter felt this evening. So he's sitting, right? There's a good chance for me to sit too. So he's sitting around at a supper. 
And Jesus starts kneeling in front of you. It, it was as if the emperor in a court came down the throne and started kneeling down before his courtiers and washed their feet. How do you think that would go over? That would be shocking. It would be more than shocking. It would cheapen the court. It would cheapen the imperial authority. It would negate their own sense of purpose and dignity. It, it would be a terrible thing. That's why Peter not just refuses, he sounds offended. You shall never wash my feet. Why is he so offended? Because it is offensive from that mindset. Now we understand. What a big deal this is. But then Jesus responds, fire with fire. You know, he says, unless I wash you, you have nothing to do with me. Whoa. <laughs> right? Stakes just went up. So Peter is outraged and think this shall never be. And Jesus says, well, this is so important. If you don't get this, you have nothing to do with Jesus. Why? Such a strong response. Nothing to do with Peter? Who is Peter? He was one of the first disciples. He left everything. He forsook his family. He sold everything to follow Jesus. He stuck with Jesus thick and thin for three and a half years. He is the first pope. Peter and Jesus have nothing to do with the other. Over this little thing, I mean, it's kind of understandable why Peter would be shocked about getting his feet washed by Jesus himself. And this is so offensive to Jesus that if this doesn't happen, they have nothing to do with each other. Why? Unless you think Jesus is just blowing smoke, and Jesus never does. We have to understand why this was such a big deal in order to understand Christian faith. It's important. Well, this is such a critical moment because this is the moment when the old covenant gets flipped to new covenant. And probably the best way to capture this flip is servants of God to friends of God. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus says a few moments later this evening in this setting. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's heart. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus negates the idea of standing in the court of God as servants of God, this bedrock of Jewish faith. He overturns it. And he says, it is now different in New Covenant. You go from servants to friends, and there's a difference, right? There's a difference between servant-master relationship to friendship. What is good in a servant-master relationship is not necessarily good in friendship. Because friendship is about the heart, 
isn't it? And that's what Jesus says here. You know, you know God's heart. You are clicking with God's heart. You know God's business. You, you know and understand each other. That's friendship, right? Friendship, you're friends because... I mean, why are you friends with your friends? <laughs> I, I don't know. Right? It's just a little weird how we form our friendships, right? There, there's no rhyme and reason. You just click. You kind of, your heart resonates with their heart. And you just like hanging out with each other. You understand each other instinctively. You, uh, it's not transactional. It's more like mysterious, wouldn't you say? It's about the heart. And that's why Jesus says about the heart-knowing business, servant does not necessarily need to know master's heart. What's important in a servant is that servants follow the orders of the master and serve the master's needs, right? That's what servants are supposed to do. You bring stuff and, and you follow their orders and... God or the master protects you and provides you with what you need. That's transactional relationship of servant and master in a nutshell. So in the old covenant, in old religion, your worth came from how well you obeyed the rules, how well you followed the protocol of the court of God, and God would promise to protect you like a king and master would do if you follow the rules well. But that's not friendship. In the new covenant, in Christian faith, your worth is inside you. Not about how you, well you are following the rules, your worth is inherent in you. John conditional, agape. Jesus died for you. Because you are you, not because you are following some protocol well. Right? That's our faith. That's new covenant. Your heart needs to be with God. It's not about rules. It all, it's all about the heart. This is an important difference that has surprising impact on our daily life and even at the big culture level, for example. The failure to get any kind of sensible gun control in this country. There are so many mass shootings today, defined as more than four people killed other than the shooter. There's more than one mass shooting every day in this country. Did you know that? Every day. It's become so common, you don't even hear about it. It doesn't make the news unless it's the kids or something. Every day, there's more than one. More people die from gun violence than tra traffic accidents in this country. There are more guns than people in this country. We are unique among the developed nations, how gun violence is so prevalent. And yet, we just can't seem to pass any kind of sensible gun control laws. And a lot of that comes from Bible Belt rules-following mentality that says, 
hey, if I'm a good person, if I'm a good Christian, and I follow the rules, and I do the everything right, I'm not going to go around killing people. Why should my rights be taken away to own guns because of some crazy people out there doing bad things? Don't tread on my rights. Does that sound familiar? You know, there's a lot of that coming from Bible Belt, in fact. That's a servant mentality that prioritizes rules and proper behavior and rights of how the God should protect you and provide you. Instead, if you are more focused on understanding the agape heart of God, we would care more about other people's pain and suffering than our own rights that come from our following the rules well. I mean, did Jesus insist on his rights going to the cross? It's the opposite, right? So why are the Christians so obsessed about our rights? In fact, when in fact, the Bible tells us outright to not insist on your rights. It says, choose to be wronged and cheated than insist on your rights with lawsuits. Uh, I'm not making a general advice here. Uh, there are some lawyers in the room. You would all be out of your job if we all just never had any lawsuits. I mean, there may, you may need to engage in lawsuits to right wrongs and stuff like that. I, I'm not generally like saying all lawsuits are bad, but I'm talking about the heart. The Bible here is talking about your heart attitude. Now, it's not about insisting on your rights to the extent of just going after people with lawsuits left and right. Now, if your heart was in the right place, you'd be about the agape heart of God than just insisting on your rights. You, you get that spirit here, right? If sensible gun control can save 40,000 lives, for example, in Japan, virtually nobody gets killed by gun violence. It's like zero, <laughs> because they have good gun control. It's not a nice place to live. Have you been to Japan? It's great. It's not like, oh, you know, your rights are all taken away, and everybody's like, you know, it's a hell. No, it's a beautiful place. And nobody dies from gun violence. It can be done. Why not? Christians should advocate for things like this instead of insisting on our rights. Where is the Christian pro-life movement on this? What's going on here? It feels more like follow the rules, take responsibility, be a proper Christian. To be clear, friendships have rules too. But friendships are driven by the heart. Big difference. You know, have you ever had a friend who only calls you up when they have something they need from you? Or they want to complain about things? How many of you have had friends like that? Surprisingly, many of us have. How do you feel about such a friend when they, you know, ugh, just go to ignore, right? Not very nice. At and yet, when do we pray? Most of us, most Christians, only pray when they have things that they want from God or they have things to complain about. This is a servant mentality. Servants complain to their masters. 
and they ask for things. They try to manipulate their masters, right? Let me be clear. It's fine and a good thing to ask God for things and bring complaints. But do it as a friend, not as a servant. Do you get that? Flip it. Friends complain, but friends kind of more complain together, <laughs> right? It's more of like complaining together. Friends can ask for things from their friends, but friends don't try to manipulate their friends with transactional stuff, at least not all the time. You know, we, we go to God and say things like, you know, God, give me this promotion. If I get this promotion, I'll give $1,000 to the church. I'll be good. I'll come to church. You know? Anybody familiar? Like, help me with this thing, and then I'll be good. I pray that myself. Number of times. That's transactional, isn't it? That's what servants would do. I do this, you do that, quid pro quo, you know, scratch each other's back. The problem here is that God doesn't have a need. It's not like you can really scratch God's back. God doesn't have an itch on, his ba- on God's back. God doesn't have a back. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's a big problem because servants need their masters to have some needs they can leverage so that they can get stuff from the master, right? So we can invent. Oh, you know, if we come to church, God will be very pleased and, you know, I'm serving God that way. And so God should give me stuff. How does God benefit when you behave well? God doesn't benefit from any of our behavior, right? It doesn't work like that. So Peter has not understood this lesson yet. He refuses to be washed by Jesus because he believes he should be serving Jesus. And also Peter tells Jesus how to behave properly. You shall never wash my feet is a command form of the grammar, right? Peter dares to stand before Jesus and tells Jesus what's what, how to behave properly. You shall never wash my feet. Courtiers do that, though, don't they? They they, uh, serve the king's needs, and they tell the king what's the proper behavior. They're always doing stuff like that, if you watch historical dramas. Jesus wants to flip that. Completely the other way. God meets your needs and God tells you what to do. Never the other way. In the new covenant, that's how it works. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. Rightly so. That is what I am. I haven't lost my mind. (laughs) Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do what I've done for you. God doesn't have needs, but we all have needs. And Jesus is saying, meet each other's needs. Wash each other's feet 
and it's the lowest thing that a servant does, and you're all like concerned about who's on top and who's on bottom and who should be doing what, blow that all up. Be unconditional in how you treat one another. There is no higher or lower among you. Don't have any of these conditional mindset. You get that, right? What he's trying to say here? Care about other people more than your status and how while well you're following the rules, that's how we become friends of God. All this is to say the aim of Christian discipleship is to grow as a friend of God, not as a servant of God. Amen? Isn't that very clear from Jesus' teaching? You are not to be servants of God. You are to be friends with God. That's new covenant. And if you don't get that, you will have nothing to do with Jesus. You will have invented some Jesus and God in your own mind that you are doing as a servant. It's a fake, delusional religion. You must get this, or you will have nothing to do with Jesus. Good stuff, right? Good stuff. So, one way, one suggestion I have for you is to slightly change how you pray. Instead of praying only when you need something or complain, how about just hanging out with God? That's what friends do, right? I, I mean, that seems to be the heart of friendship, hanging out. Chat with God. Like, you know, chat GPT. <laughs> you know, chat G-O-D. <laughs> Got it? Now, some of you can't even believe I'm saying such a thing, but... <laughs> chat G-O-D, you know? We're offering a conversational prayer workshop today, upstairs. We've even giving you free food. It's good food, free tacos, and good tacos, not, not bad tacos, really the best in Manhattan. <laughs> We're doing all that because we believe this heart of Jesus. We're not transactional here. We don't expect anything in return. We're not like some cult that says, well, you ate our food. You know, we're going to call you every other day and we're going to get something out of you. No, there is no transactional spirit in true Christianity. It's free. It comes from the heart. Friends treat each other, and they don't expect anything in return, or they shouldn't at least, right? That's the spirit we want to foster in this church. But check it out. We'll teach you how to use a journal and use your imagination to just chat with God, just spend time with God, shoot the breeze, you know? And the critical thing here is to lower the stakes. When people hear things like talking with God, hearing from God, well, alarm bells can go off because, you know, seriously crazy stuff can happen from hearing from God, right? People can say, well, I heard from God that you should sell everything and give to the church. That's crazy. Okay, that's, that's very pressure field. That's the kind of thing a master would do to a servant. Do you think a friend would do that? A friend would come up to you and say, sell everything you got and give to me or else? I want to strike you down with thunder and lightning? Is that something a friend would ever even imagine doing? 
that's still stuck in servant-master mentality. God has said something. Master has said something. I have to do it. So much pressure. That's not good for friendship. Lower the stakes. God wants to be your friend. Faith says, trust that God is already on your side. Ready to, like, be with you. When you ask for things from God, ask as a friend. With trust in your heart rather than, I'm going to have to manipulate God somehow. With fasting and donations. Squeeze something out of God. Servant master mentality. You see how you can, like, use this one measure to start getting some wisdom on what is life-giving and what is false religion. You, you see that, right? It's a, a very important yardstick. So today, check it out. Because of some of my physical problems, I can't do it. Pastor Allison is going to do it. But it's going to be great. Uh, we've talked about how it's going to go and what is going to happen. And so you're going to get a lot out of it, I think. But lower the stakes. Don't do anything important out of chatting with God, anything dramatic. You're just chatting. It's spending time with God that is the point. The point of friendship is that you just enjoy each other's presence. That's the point. It's not you got to do something, right? So lower the stakes, enjoy God. And all the fruits of faith will come to you. Peace, kindness, joy, your heart will change. And some very good stuff have happened to me out of this practice as well. Creativity, inspiration, breakthroughs, just by hanging out with God. Because hanging out with friends can do stuff like that. It can push you forward. It can change your life. It can launch you to a different level. Amen. Let me pray for us very quickly. God, thank you that you call us friends, not servants. Thank you for this very important shift. God, help us to develop the heart of being friends of God. Change us from inside out. Move us. Move our hearts. Change our being from inside out towards freedom and love and joy. Let us experience all the benefits that you came to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.